Well, it is good to be with you today. I'm excited about sharing some of God's word with you. I want to thank you for taking the time to gather together with the church. I want to send a quick shout out to the Adrian campus this morning. Hope that you guys are doing well and hope that you have a a great morning together. I I thank you all for, uh, for being a part of these moments together. First question before we dig in. So did anybody wake up Saturday morning and find potatoes in your yard? Okay, good. But I needed to ask because, you see, I was a part of the men and boys camp out Friday night. And I might have brought the launcher along with me. Remember that? Remember the quarter mile launcher? And there might have been potatoes involved. Maybe, I'm just saying. We had a great time. One little guy wanted to launch a potato, right? And so you gotta get the right angle and he wasn't strong enough to pull the thing back. So we sat him on the ground and got the potato loaded and he had his hands on the potato and I had one handle and Ryan Bird had the other handle, and we were walking forward to create some tension on the launcher, you know what I'm saying? And he's sitting on the ground holding the potato, and all of a sudden, apparently the launcher was at a right. He just went, whoop, slid across the ground. It just pulled him across the ground. So from that point on, he held the potato while somebody held him, and we created a little tension, and he did a good job. We really did have a wonderful evening, just being out in the woods, perfect temperature, good coffee, good food, good friends, sitting around the campfire. There's a couple of things about a fire that are always true. It's always hot. If it's a real fire, it's always hot. And you have to feed that fire in order to keep it hot. I'm telling you that because today we are going to learn about a gift from God. A gift that God gives to us and God tells us, I want this gift to be like fire. I want it to be intense, I want it to be hot like fire, therefore, You have to feed it in order to keep it hot. So I I want you to dig in with me today. Um, Some of you know that over the summer, we started a series called Blueprint. Anybody remember what what book we studied? What book of the Bible? Come on, come on. Anybody? First Timothy, right? It it was a study of First Timothy, and, and we just made our way through the entire book. Well, over the last two months, we have been studying the book of Ephesians, all right? Now, there's a connection because Timothy, to whom the letter is written from the Apostle Paul, was the pastor at the church at Ephesus, and so it's connected. We called that series what? More. Very good. All right. We, we called it More. And, and we determined that not only is that the title of the series, but we, we really want More to become the theme for us in 2020. 
Because we learned about a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, but it's according to his what? His power that is at work in us. Well, today, we're going to take another turn, and this time, we're going to study a second letter that was sent from Paul to this young man named Timothy who pastors the church at Ephesus. Let me show you what we're going to get into today. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up with verse 6, and then we're going to get some of the verses that are around it. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame. There's our fire. I want you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, just to give you the backstory, Paul was there. When, when, when laying on of hands is this imagery that sometimes is given in the Bible where it, it is symbolic of a, a person who, is, who is, belongs to God, set apart for him. It's symbolic of the power of God's spirit um, that, that God gives, not, not from our hands, but, but by his spirit. Well, Paul has known Timothy for a length of time. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame this, this gift of God. So here's the one big point. Now, you got an outline again today, all right? I was really encouraged watching you guys write last week. You guys encouraged me when at least you're writing something down. So you should have an outline in, in your uh, worship guide that you got when you came in today. Get you a pen, pencil, whatever it is. And I encourage you to write a few things down. We remember more. We retain more when we actually write something down, all right? So here's the first part of the one big point. Leave some space because I'm going to give you a second part. But here's the, the one big point. Here's the first part. Keep on feeding the intense flame of God's gift. Keep on feeding the intense flame of God's gift. That's what he says to Timothy, and that's what he's saying to us. Now, I'm going to break it down for you just a little bit. There's a reason I'm using the word intense flame, right? Because sometimes we use the word hot and we don't really mean it's hot. Like if my son came to me and said, Dad, I feel hot. Well, I'm going to do what every parent's going to do. First thing we do is we put our hand on the forehead. And even if he has a temperature, is it going to burn my hand? No. We just use the word hot, but it's not really hot. But I promise you, when we were sitting out around that campfire on Friday night, there's really nothing you could possibly do to get me to touch that thing. There's nothing you could do to get me to put my hand on that fire, because that is hot. That's hot. Now just FYI, some of you know this from scripture. Is Jesus a fan of lukewarm? No, he's not. He describes it as something that even if you were drinking something that was lukewarm, he said, I, I, would, I would spit it out. So I, I want you to get intense flame that we're talking about here. When, when he uses this word, he's talking about a fire. He's talking about something that's hot. And he says, I want you to keep on feeding it. Keep on feeding it. Now, it's not because Timothy has let the flame go out. It's just because that is the tense of the verb 
that Paul's using here. It is a present tense, which is a continuous action. I want you to keep on feeding this fire. Because no matter how big the fire is, if you don't ever feed the fire, what happens? It fades out. Keep on feeding it. But Timothy, I want you to understand this is God's gift. This is God's gift. Something God gives to you, and a part of that gift is an intensity. There is a fire with it, and that fire is dependent on continual obedience to feed it. So the question is, what is this gift? What is the gift that he's given us? Well, let's keep reading, and we're going to get our answer. Verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. That's Paul. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let's go back to our one big point and I'll give you the rest of it. Timothy, I want you to keep on feeding the intense flame of God's gift. And here's the gift. It is unashamed courage to speak of Christ and to suffer for the gospel. And you might be thinking, oh, I thought you meant like a real gift. I, I thought you meant like a, like a Christmas good gift. That's the gift. That's the gift. Unashamed courage to speak of Christ. Unashamed courage to suffer for the gospel. Now, in case you don't know the word gospel, it means good news. And the good news we're talking about is that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried on the third day arose and appeared to many. For us, that's the greatest news in the whole world. He says, Timothy, you, you have this gift, unashamed courage, to speak of Christ boldly and even to suffer for the gospel. Paul refers to himself as a prisoner you see, he's practicing what he's preaching. He's practicing what he's encouraging Timothy to do. Paul is in prison. Want to guess why he's in prison? Yeah, he's speaking of Christ. He's speaking of Christ. He's preaching the gospel, and now he's suffering for that gospel. And so the charge to Timothy is, man, I, I want you to burn with courage to speak and to suffer for Jesus. And, and he tells us very clearly, look, this happens by the power of God. The feeding of the flame, the flame that burns hot, the courage to speak, the courage to suffer when it's all said and done, who did it? God. In the early chapters of Acts, which gives us the story of when the church was born. It says that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. It says they spoke the word of God boldly. 
If anybody ever asks you what is the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in someone's life, here's the answer from the book of Acts. They will speak the word of God boldly. They will declare who Jesus is boldly. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit comes upon those first believers. They are testifying to who Jesus is. They all get in trouble. Some of them go to prison. You know what they do? They just keep on speaking boldly of who he is. It's the greatest evidence of God's presence in your life. Paul would tell the church at Corinth, you can't even know and declare that Jesus is Lord except by the power of God's Spirit. And for those folks in that early church in the first century, sometimes that meant they found themselves in the Roman Colosseum being put on display, a game for everyone else to be entertained, that unless they would refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, the lions would be turned loose. It takes boldness. It takes unashamed courage to stand in such moments. And I'm saying whether it's the Colosseum in Paul's day or whether it's the university classroom in our day, it takes boldness. It takes unashamed courage to speak of who Christ is and to know that if you do so, there are consequences that follow that you may suffer. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is the message of the letter of 2 Timothy. This is what Paul is going to give to Timothy over and over again. You know how many chapters are in 2 Timothy? Four. Just four. But some 14 times, and there may be more than that, that's just how many I found. Some 14 times, Paul is going to talk to Timothy about unashamed suffering. In other words, it's like, if you want an easy life, don't follow Jesus. If you want a comfortable life, don't follow Jesus. Because if we would just hear what Jesus says, places like Mark chapter 8 where he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their what? Cross and follow me. It's like, how do we miss that? If you want it to be comfortable, then following Jesus is probably not it. But if you want to know the highest joy, and you want to know the ultimate peace, and you want to know the greatest love, then follow Jesus. Just know that if you follow Jesus, you are going to need unashamed courage to speak of who he is and to suffer as a consequence of declaring the gospel. Now, you already know it's the power of God. That's, that's how that happens. But, I mean, really, how do you keep on doing that? How do you fan that flame? Well, the way you experience it, I'm going to sum up with one word, and we're going to see it here in just a second in the letter to 2 Timothy. But that word is the word grace. I encourage you to write it down. It's the word grace. And then as soon as you write that word down, I'm going to give you another sentence that I didn't put blanks in. But I, I think this is worth writing down because it's, it's going to 
keep coming back up as we move through this letter. Here's the statement that I want you to write. God makes the flame of his gift dependent on our feeding and then makes our feeding dependent on his grace. I encourage you to take the time and write it down. God makes the flame of his gift, this gift, this gift of unashamed courage, unashamed courage to speak of who Jesus is, unashamed courage to suffer for the gospel. He makes the flame, the the intensity of this gift dependent on our feeding. He said, Timothy, I want you to fan this flame. I want you to feed this flame. But then God turns right around and he makes the actual feeding of that flame dependent on his grace. Let me show you what I mean. In every letter that Paul writes, all of them, we think about some 13 that we would attribute to him. Every one of them begins with language, with some form of the words, grace to you. All of them. Every letter begins with some form of the words, grace to you. And all of the letters, all 13 of them, without exception, end with some form of the words, grace be with you. So they start with grace to you. They all end with grace be with you. And 2 Timothy is no exception. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my dear son, grace Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You got this grace to you language from the Father to you. When you get to the end of the letter, so chapter 4, verse 22, he closes it this way, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. He does that in every single letter that he writes. And in 2 Timothy, right in the middle of the letter, chapter 2, verse 1, this is what he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In case you can't tell, Paul believes that grace matters. Why does he use this language, grace to you, and then at the end, it's like grace be with you? Well, Paul knows that as these words are being written and given to Timothy, as these words are being given to the church at Ephesus, as these words are being given for you and me, whose words are these really? Are these just the words of a man? No, these are words of scripture. These are words of God. In other words, God's grace is being given through the truth that Paul is writing down and he's sending to these believers. There is grace that is coming to them as they read and as they hear these truths. But at the end of the book, he says, now grace be with you. Why? Because now that they've read it and now that they've heard it, these believers now turn and they walk into a world where they will experience suffering. And his prayer is that this grace that has come to them will now be with them as they endure in whatever they struggle. So, 
Let's write down a few of these. How does God's grace come to us? Here's the first one, and this is like the overall overarching statement. Grace comes to you through God's word. Grace comes to you through God's word. These are not ordinary words. And so, Timothy, you you keep on feeding the intense flame of God's gift, unashamed courage to speak of Jesus, unashamed courage to suffer for the gospel. You do that by teaching yourself the truths of God's word. This is how you get it. Now, with that being the umbrella, knowing that his grace comes from from God's word, Now Paul's also going to just remind us of some of the very practical pictures of how the truth of God's word comes to us. For example, he also says that grace comes to you through family faith. And the faith we're talking about here is in Jesus. So if you need to write that down, then write that down. That's what we're talking about here. Faith in Jesus. Grace comes to you through family faith. Faith. Here's why I say that. Check out verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did. Paul's connecting himself to a family, a lineage, if you will, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Watch this. I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy, do you recognize God's grace that has come to you through a family of faith? Now, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. It's just the word that means it's for real. You really do own this, Timothy. It's yours. You're you're not just piggybacking on somebody else's faith. This is real with you. But you and I both know that it's rooted in a faith that was also your mom's. In fact, it was also your grandmother's. Timothy, don't miss God's blessing to you. That is grace in your life that you have people in your family who love Jesus and pointed you toward him. Paul's saying the same thing's true of me, Timothy. When I, when I look back over my ancestry, when I look back over the lint, I have been shaped by that. And Timothy, if you are wounded or you are sorrowful, because Timothy, your dad was not in the picture when it comes to your faith. We know that. We studied that back in 1 Timothy. Timothy, if you're sorrowful because your dad was not a significant figure in your life and your spiritual upbringing, remember, Timothy, I'm your dad. I'm your dad, Timothy. This, this might have been the first Right? This might have been the first one. I don't know. All the way through the writing, Paul will call Timothy his son. Can I tell you that he doesn't call Timothy a a, a son just for sentimental reasons? He calls Timothy a son because Paul is like a father to him. 
Paul's saying the grace, Timothy, even that I am delivering to you right now, this is because you have a heavenly father who is imparting grace to you. Timothy, I never had a son. Timothy, you never had a father. But now God has connected us. This is who we are. This is grace for us, son. So be strong in it. There are some days that I just, I, I just so wish that we could get people to believe this truth. The worth of developing relationships in the household of God. Because from life teams to men and boys campouts to you name it, why? It is opportunities to develop relationships and out of those relationships, the grace of our God is extended into our lives. Without those relationships, do you realize the potential for the flame to fade greatly increases? But when, but when there are spiritual brothers and sisters and moms and dads, when families of faith work together that way, it is like God extending grace to us. He says, do you understand the worth of relationships when you build them in the family of God? You need this. You need this. Similarly, Paul says, and Timothy I want you to recognize that grace also comes to you through courageous examples. Courageous examples. And guess who the courageous example is in Timothy's life? It's Paul. Check this out in verse 11. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Paul again speaking of himself. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I've believed. Timothy, I'm not ashamed. Because I know who, who I believe. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What is that day? It's the day that Paul, face to face with Jesus. And what we're dealing with in this letter is that this is, this is getting close. And Paul knows it. Timothy, when you speak on behalf of the gospel and you suffer, you are not alone. Timothy, when you boldly declare who Jesus is, you are not by yourself. Because come on, look at me, Timothy. I, consider my life. It has not been easy. But I'm telling you, in all the suffering, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to be here in prison. And Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed either. The reason we don't have to be ashamed is because the one who entrusted us with this gospel, he is powerful. He is able 
Timothy, he will guard the gift that he has given to us. He gives us this good news, and then he gives us this gift to be able to stand in unashamed courage, to be able to declare who he is, to be able to suffer in the struggle. Timothy, he is able, and his power is so great, his grace is so giving, his his jealousy for the gospel is so real. Timothy, he guarantees he will fight for us and he will guard this gift until we stand before him one day. Timothy, he will cause us to feed this intense flame until our race is over. Just like you see me in prison, Timothy, my race is almost over. But Timothy, there's not a question in your mind as to whether or not my soul is like a fire. My heart is like a fire. My love for Jesus is like a fire. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Be courageous for the gospel. And then, just one more, Timothy, or Paul, widens the camera angle, and he gives Timothy one more glimpse of how grace comes. He says, grace comes to you through the eternal purpose of God. Grace comes to you through the eternal purpose of God. Verse 9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Everybody get that? Not because of anything we did, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Timothy, the grace of God that awakened you, the grace of God that sustained you, the grace of God that strengthens you, the grace of God that feeds the intense flame of the gift that God's given you, that grace was given to you before time began. That'll mess you up. That'll mess you up if you think your God is small. That'll mess you up if you think your God is limited. That'll mess you up if you think you're the one pulling this whole thing off. And I think that's exactly why Paul is reminding Timothy of of what he's saying right now. Timothy, this grace, it was extended to you in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This has always been God's purpose. It's just now you can see it because of a Savior. The purpose has been made clear. The purpose has been fulfilled. Now you get it because you know who Jesus is. But don't be mistaken. It was God who planned you all, and he, he planned you in it. And why did he do that? He did it so that you would know when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your calling, when it comes to your victory. 
It's not because of you and me, but it's because of him. It was because of his own purpose and grace. So, we have decided to call this series Grace and Grit. Grace and Grit. You got, you got this grit aspect to what Paul brings to the letter. I mean, today, come on, Timothy, you, you got to feed this. Come on, Timothy, you got you, you to be tough in the, in the struggle. Come on, Timothy, there, there needs to be an unashamed courage as you declare who Jesus is, as you stand your ground. There's this grit part to it. You'll even hear it in the personality of Paul. Can I just tell you in this letter, Paul's going to name some names, like, he doesn't just throw out some general principles and deal with some struggles. He starts naming names. You, you know how when people get older, sometimes we say they lose their filter? You read 2 Timothy, it's almost like Paul's losing a bit of his filter, if you will. We always talk as though losing your filter is a bad thing. I think sometimes it just means growing to a place where you are no longer really concerned about whether everybody in the world is happy with who you are. In grace and in love, sometimes you learn to just say some things that need to be said, and Paul, there will be grit. There will be grit. But you gotta balance that with these truths that for all of eternity, for all of eternity, God has planned that his graciousness would be directed toward you. Yeah, now you see it because of Jesus, but this has always been the plan. It is both grace and grit. So to put it to you maybe in some terms that will just give you an image to, to hang your hat on. When I hear the word grit, um, I don't think singular. I think plural. Okay, when I hear the word grit, I think food, because I grew up in the South. So when I hear the word grit, you know what I think of? Grits, yeah. I, I grew up eating grits, all right? Now, some people don't get grits. They don't. It's like the further north you come, people, sometimes people just don't get grits, and therefore they don't get grits, all right? They, they eat grits, and they're like, nah. That's because you don't understand God's purpose for grits, all right, you don't. You, you don't understand God's purpose from before time began for grits. Today, I'm going to give it to you. There's not a blank on your outline, but this is worth writing down. All right, God's purpose for grits. God created grits as a container for butter and sugar. Did you know that? He did. God asked, go down south and ask anybody, and they know. God created grits as a container for butter and sugar. And when you begin to live in that purpose, it's really good, I promise. So here's my point. Grits in the wrong context will leave you wanting, just not more grits, right? Grits in the wrong context, you don't want any more grits. But grits in the right context is good and it works. Can I tell you that the same thing is true when it comes to grit, if you will, in the Christian life? Grit 
in the Christian life in the wrong context, it will leave you weary and it will leave you wanting. But grit in the right context, it works. It works. So I want to give you a quote by a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard's just a really smart um, theological guy. And there's a quote that um, I, I uh, have read from him. And it's just a great way for us to sum this up. And I think I can help us get it. We got a couple of blanks. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. You could put the word grit. That's what we're talking about. Grace is not opposed to grit. Grace is opposed to earning. In other words, the, 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 this is not grit for the purpose of earning the favor of God. This is not gritting it out for the purpose of owning the favor of God. This is gritting it out because the favor of God has already been applied. Total difference. Grit trying to earn will leave you empty. But grit because it's already been given, grace already been extended, grace already been applied, it works. That's why Paul is willing to suffer. He's willing to fight. He's willing to be in prison. He's willing to be rejected. There are times he goes without food. He goes without shelter. He goes without sleep. I'm going to try to say this nice. Some of us have no spiritual work ethic. We have no spiritual work ethic. What I mean by that is some of us bail as soon as faith begins to require grit. If it costs us more time, we start to move away. If it costs us more energy, we will consider doing something different. If it costs us more money, if it costs us more suffering, our conclusion usually is, well, this must not be of God. And the reason that sometimes people will give is, well, this is about God's grace, not grit. This is about God's grace, not me earning it. I think that's what Paul is shouting to us in 2 Timothy. He's saying, no, no, you do not yet understand God's grace. You are correct. This is not grit for the purpose of earning the favor of God. None of us will ever earn the favor of God. None of us perfect. None of us good enough. This is not about earning it. But you need to see this is grit because the favor of God has already been applied in your life. And some of us really will not commit to anything that might cost us too much. 
Sometimes the way that, that looks for people is they really don't get too connected to anything kingdom-wise that's connected to the church. They will attempt to do kingdom work in isolation. They will attempt to do kingdom things on their own. Not, not being connected to a body, not, not, not be, because we know that, that there's, uh, there, there's like grit involved in that. People, people, that, dealing with people and there, there's grit. And, and, and so sometimes we're careful not to involve ourselves too deeply in the body and whatever we do for Jesus, we just sort of make this plan on our own. And then people will say, well, Jesus did say count the cost. He did say count the cost. But here's my question to you. Did Jesus say count the cost for being in the kingdom of God because it cost too much? Was Jesus' point count the cost because it cost too much? No, his point was count the cost because it cost. Count the cost because this cost. If you're going to line up with Jesus in this world, <laughs> then there's cost. And you're going to need an unashamed courage to speak boldly about him. You're going to need an unashamed courage to deal with the suffering that's going to result in speaking boldly about him. You cannot... You cannot be moving the same direction that the world is moving and follow him. So count the cost. All that to say, here's what I know going in. This series is going to clash. It is. It's going to clash with my heart. It's going to clash with your heart. This is like our least favorite subject in the whole world. It is. This is going to clash because we got a letter coming from a man who has spent his whole life pouring it out, faithful to Jesus. Now he finds himself in prison knowing that he is about to die all for the sake of the gospel. That is being read into a culture in which we live where every week even people who call themselves the church of God decide whether or not it's even worth it to actually meet with God's people this week because we might have something better to do. It's going to clash. Because our definition of cost and our understanding of grit in faith is very different than a guy sitting in prison about to die, but knowing it's worth it. But I also know that if the clash happens because it's God's word who is creating that clash in us, can we at least recognize that? If it's God's word that we're reading and studying and it's creating this clash in our heart, you know what that actually is? Grace. It's grace. Grace and grit. I hope that you will stick around for the whole thing. 
because there's so much more that I think God wants to show and do in you and me. So now that we've at least heard what this book is about, what do we need to ask from God? I want to invite us to spend a little time praying today. Just where you are, where you're seated, I want to invite you to just spend a few minutes, let's bow our heads together and, man, aren't you excited? Like, no. Then maybe we should ask him to give us some fire. Maybe we need some fire. Because if we're not excited about even talking about a struggle for following Jesus, the fire might be kind of low. Needs to be fed. And yes, he gives us responsibility to feed it, but as soon as he gives us responsibility to feed it, he turns right around and he goes, don't be mistaken, it's my grace that enables you to feed it. Let's bow. Let's bow our heads across the room. I just, I, I'm just going to give you a couple of uh, minutes to just spend with him. I, and I encourage you to ask. Ask him. Ask him to give you even a want to to reignite such a fire in your soul. Because come on, when, when's the last time that you, you would say, I can say I, I am walking with unashamed courage because I am speaking to people about Jesus. I'm speaking to people about Jesus. Not just going to Bible study learning about Jesus, not just coming to church and singing about Jesus, but in my life, I am, I am demonstrating an unashamed courage to speak of Jesus. Come on, ask him. Ask him to light a fire. I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes and then I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing a little bit. Lord, I am admitting, and I think that I wouldn't be alone in that today. Um, this is kind of hard. God, just to recognize that uh, where we live, it really is possible to declare, to, to, to claim that we follow you uh, and yet just keep our mouth shut. But God, I'm asking you to help us to see that in your kingdom, that is not possible. In our kingdom, might be possible. In your kingdom, it's not possible. And so God, we need grace.
And I'm grateful that the truth we learned today, this is grace that was extended to us before any of us were born. God, grace that you, your purpose, your intent was to extend even before time began. And God, you think we could see it when we see Jesus, but God, we're just saying we understand and we can at least admit, God, we need you to light a fire. To light a fire under the gift that you have given us just like you gave Timothy. That we would speak boldly about who you are that we would stand with unashamed courage even when we suffer. So God, even as strange as this may sound to some of us today, I'm asking you to teach us. I'm asking that as we open the pages of this letter of 2 Timothy, that by your spirit, you would bring it alive. And that even though there is painful picture involved, there is something beautiful. That if we want the highest joy, if we want the most complete fulfillment, if we want the most supernatural love, <laughs> then we want to follow you. Give us courage. In the name of Jesus, amen.